because it is a tough topic to talk on. Um, and I know why preachers don't preach on hell, because I was raised in the 80s, where you have all these 60s and 70s rock bands that have all these songs about hell. So my whole week, I had these songs popping in my head. I'm like, ah, don't sing that song. And um, But regardless, I want to talk about hell this morning, the topic of hell. And particularly, what does the Bible actually teach about hell? There's a lot of theories out there. So I wanted to kind of dig into what does the Bible actually say and get rid of the random theories that people have on it. Uh, over the last three years, uh, the Lord has laid in my heart to uh, teach a few things uh, regarding evangelism and being on gospel mission. Um, I've, I've taught on God's passion and his expectation for us to be a part of the Great Commission. Taught on... Um, obeying the command of Jesus to be on the Great Commission as motives to, to uh, get on it. And third, today I want to talk about the motive of the reality that there is judgment of both the believer and the unbeliever. Both will be judged. But before we do, a lot of people have a lot to say and a lot of opinions on what hell is. So what does culture say about hell? Anybody know who this is? Laverne and Shirley. And I just got to tell you, this episode of Laverne and Shirley was the very first time I ever thought about Satan and hell. That episode where they kept saying Beelzebub scared me to death as a little kid. And uh, when I think of Satan, I first have to go through this image in my brain. And um, 15 things I've seen in culture that, that people teach on hell. Uh, number one, hell, some people believe, hell is a place to be desired. Ralph Waldo Emerson says this, Thus of their own volition, souls proceed into heaven and into hell. So hell is a place where people say, I want to go there. I had a little kid once, I asked, who wants to go to heaven? And I, I might have told you this before, and um, who wants to go to heaven? Everybody rose their hand, except for one kid. And I said, Timmy, why don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, because my dad's going to hell, and he wants to be with his dad. And I'm like, man, his mom should be careful in her conversation about her husband. Uh, second thing I've heard is hell is a place without rules. Third, hell is a place managed by Satan. You know that the red the red pointy bearded dude with the horns and the pitchfork. Next, I've heard that hell is a party for, for the sinners. Ever hear of Bon Scott? That's a song running through my head. It's a song by Bon Scott. In 1979, he sang the song Highway to Hell. And if you're a snob on music, yes, it's about a bar in Australia. But that's not how anybody on earth takes that song. You know what I'm saying? He says this, going down, party time. My friend's going to be there too. Do you know Von Scott, he sang that song in 1979. He died in 1980, right after that song came out. I've heard that hell is a lot more fun than heaven. Billy Joel, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. You might have heard it before. Next, hell is a place 
to express your fleshly desires, that flesh, those cravings of the flesh you get to do without any uh, frustration from some God who's convicting you. I've heard that hell is a holding place before non-existence, that there's some type of annihilation. There's a lot of churches that teach annihilation, but it's just not found in Scripture. They're at that point leaving Scripture and going into their own theory on it. I've heard that hell is a place for only the most evil of society or for ones that are more evil than, of course, us or for ones who have hurt us. They could go to hell for all we care, right? That's You've heard that before? I've heard that hell is a temporary place that you stay until love wins and you finally bend your knee to the Lordship of Christ and then you get to go to heaven. You spring out of hell and go to heaven. Dante, in his poem, The Divine Comedy, says hell has different levels of torture. Um, most, a lot of Christians today base some of their theology off some poem instead of scripture. A lot of people believe there's different levels of hell. Then there's some uh, church people who twist Habakkuk 1.13. They believe that God does not exist in hell. I've also heard that hell is only here on earth. Natalie Cole said, I have been to hell and back. I have seen the edge. I have seen the dark side of life. You might have heard of William T. Sherman. He said, war is a, I can't read my writing there, war is all hell. You might have seen the Vietnam guy, war is hell. You've seen that before probably. Sherman said, war is all hell. My thought on that is, Dude, you don't even know what hell is. I've heard that hell is a non-existent and made-up place by religious people seeking to control the masses. I've also heard that hell is a place in Michigan. Maybe it's the whole state. <laughs> Just kidding. If you're from Michigan, it's right about here by Detroit, you know. And I've heard that... Um, you ever been to a junior high concert before, an orchestra, junior high orchestra? Here's what George Bernard Shaw said about that. Hell is full of musical amateurs. <laughs> so, thanks a lot, George Bernard Shaw, for your, you know. Anyhow, for this teaching, I would like to look at probably the clearest message uh, from the Bible on the two destinations that all humanity faces. The passages of the sheep and the goats, probably one of the strongest teachings on our final destination. It is also one of the most revealing passages of the human heart, of our hearts. Now I'm going to give a lot of references during the sermon. I'm not going to look them all up. Get your hand ready, you know, work out your carpal tunnel, get ready to write because there are some good references that teach on hell. We would be here for six hours today if I was to look up those references. And my hope with this sermon is that you would have a complete understanding of what God says about the eternal state of hell so that you may know for sure what it is and what it isn't. My goal today is to break down speculation and see what the Lord says hell actually is and who it is for. You guys ready? Matthew 25, open up to Matthew 25, verse 31. 
Matthew 25, verse 31. What is known as the parable of the sheep and the goats, if you have an ESV, it is the final judgment. Let's dig in together. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. There is a point, let me stop here for a second, there is a point where Jesus, the Son of Man, will come in His glory. His first coming was that of a suffering servant. His second coming, coming will be as a reigning king, a judge, and a servant. We don't know when this is. Unlike Brigham Young and, and uh, Joseph Smith have tried to give dates to and it's passed and didn't happen, we don't know when this is. But we know that there is certainly a when. Now, not even Jesus knew when this, it, that, when this was to occur, but only the Father knew when this would happen. Some people have said that this has already happened. Some say this is after the Great Tribulation. Others believe that it is after the millennial reign of Christ on earth. I don't believe it's already happened because I think this event is too big of an event for humans to miss. We know that this is the throne, is a throne judgment of the Lord. We know it's an amazing scene. And I want you, as we go through it, picture yourself because you may, you will be here at this judgment. Picture what is going on here. The Lord coming in His glory, sitting on a throne to judge the nations. His angels with Him. Imagine that scene. And before him will be gathered, it says, all the nations, not just the Jews, all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats. And a key word there is once again the word but, but the goats on his left side. After the king separates them, he will give both groups of humans a separate command. Notice the command he gives to each group here. It's a word of judgments. Two words are given. One for the sheep and a different word for the goats. Don't miss these words. The question I have for you today is, which group will you be in when he comes in his glory? Group number one, the right side, the sheep. Let's look at that one first, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, here's the command, come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When was this kingdom prepared? From the foundation 
of the world. The key word for these folks, these sheep, is come. Come to me. Be with me. Boy, to hear Jesus say to me, come. That'd be wonderful. I look forward to that. Verse 35. Why? Why can they come? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord! Anybody know the Keith Green song, by the way, of this? Of this? Anybody know Keith Green's song? You've got to hear the Keith Green song of this. It is very emotional. I love Keith Green. And when I do this sermon, I just think of Keith Green's words, how he inflected. You've got to listen to it today. So write that down in your notes. Listen to Keith Green's song on the sheep and the goats. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers. I picture him saying that, his disciples around him pointing to his disciples. You did it to me. Now, a couple notes on this. My brothers. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up. Keep your finger where you're at and go to Galatians 6.10. Briefly, if you would. Galatians 6.10. It says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. My brothers, all the Lord wants us to care for orphans and widows, James 1.27 says, or the Jewish people, Genesis 12.3 says, all people we are to care for, right? A redeemed person cares especially for those in the household of faith, Galatians 6.10 teaches us. Second note, the measuring rod or line of judgment here is faith. This isn't some teaching that throws out faith. The measuring rod or the line of judgment, the plumb line, is faith. Expressing itself, don't miss this part, faith expressing itself through love. As James 2 talks about, Ephesians 2 talks about, Hebrews 11.6 clearly teaches Open up your Bible again to 1 John 2, verse 3 through 6, if you would. 1 John 2, verse 3 through 6. Underline this in your Bible. 1 John 2, verse 3 through 6. God's Word says this, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. How do you know that you've come to know Him? How can you know for sure? We know we've come to know Him 
if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps, which means to guard or to hold his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. And it's this way. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Faith always expresses itself through love, to obey Jesus and care about the things Jesus cares about. Jesus saves. So do we have Jesus? Or even better, does Jesus have us? The measuring rod of judgment here is not works because we cannot merit towards salvation or save ourselves, right? But we need to know that faith works. If someone says they have faith and doesn't care for Jesus' brothers and sisters by feeding the hungry ones, by caring for the thirsty ones, by showing hospitality, and by clothing and visiting them, that person's lying to themselves. Why? Because anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He, at the moment of conversion, begins a good work in us that leads to us doing good works towards him and towards others. So we have how the sheep act. The sheep, a person who is trusted in Christ, is new. Their heart is moved to be about the things he is about. But then there's how the goats act. These are the people that ignore Jesus. Verse 41, group number two, the left side of the Lord, the goats. 41, verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Word number one was, come. Let's hear it together. Word number one is, come. Good job. Word number two is depart, leave, get away from me. Nothing, no more with me at all, no more opportunity. Come for the sheep, depart is the command for the goats. These people are cursed. Now is that a judgment or a descriptor of their quality of life? They will receive the same curse, notice here, that the devil and his angels receive. Their quality of life reveals the quality of the person. And as a result of their wicked, unredeemed life, they will be condemned to the same fate as the devil and his angels. And someone said to me this morning, it's based on if you're good or bad. And, and I would say this, no, it's based on what you did with his precious son, Jesus, if you loved him, if you came to Jesus, there's life. If you've rejected him, I can't think of a greater sin than to reject God's precious gift to you. So the quality of a person that rejects him is pretty poor, I would say. So what is the curse that they receive? It is the inability to ever 
be with Jesus again. It is a final missed opportunity to have fellowship with God ever. So where are they departing to? It's eternal fire. Notice here, it is a place that is eternal. Both destinations here are eternal, non-ending. Neither are temporary. Fire, for some people, they believe that fire is actual flames. Some believe it is a place, fire symbolizing judgments, extreme suffering and judgment here. It is a place that's prepared for the devil and his angels. It is not originally a place designed for humans, but for the devil and angels, or otherwise known as demons. God desires all people to be saved. However, these cursed people will end up in such a place without receiving the grace of God. These people are also judged by Jesus and they're found wanting. They will receive eternal fire and punishment. Punishment here, note, is not discipline, but punishment here is a penal judgment. The wages of sin is death, and the wages of rejecting God's gift is eternal punishment. So what else does God say about hell? In the Bible, did you know there's different words that God uses for a place of that people go when they die, other world places? You see the word hell, you see the word lake of fire, you see the word Gehenna. Poss- quite possibly, all three of these words ultimately refer to the same place. You see a place called Sheol, which is Hebrew, Hades, which is Greek, the grave, and Tartarus, which is also Greek. That is a place, that is kind of like the same place where the dead are, at least until the time of Christ. And Luke, in Luke 16, it talks about the grave is a place of suffering and a place of holding for final judgment. Second Peter chapter 2 talks about a place called Tartarus. It's the only place where that word is used and is a prison for angels until final judgment. Then there's a third place people wind up at, paradise or heaven or Abraham's bosom. And, of course, with Jesus. And that is the place, this third place is a place for the believer who has submitted themselves to the Lord. So for our purposes this morning, we're going to focus right now on the eternal states of those who reject God's promptings in their lives. For me, of course, I prefer place three, right? Don't you? Don't you wouldn't you rather be in place three? With the Lord. That's where I want to be. So next slide. There is a definition that I want to use of hell here. Both Scripture and Jesus describe hell as this. It is a physical, horrifying place of eternal punishments for unredeemed sinners, full of darkness, suffering, fire, unending decay, and separation from the Lord's favor. Go ahead and put up that next slide. Here is the time of suffering for you. (laughs) Uh, It is a time, I put a bunch of references, I don't want to dig into these, other than each one of these words 
I put a reference so that you could check it out for yourself later on. If you can't write all these down, you could, after the service, we could put the slides back up. If you are a note taker and you want to write them down, you can. Or you could just trust me on it. But I recommend you check me out. If you know me, JD, you know me pretty well. You would check me out, wouldn't you? Yeah, for sure. All right. So that's one slide, physical, horrifying, eternal punishment for unredeemed sinners. Go to the next slide. Same definition. You don't have to write that down. But it also talks about darkness, suffering, fire. And stop here for a second. Where are most of these references found? If you look, the Gospels. Jesus taught about hell more than anywhere else in Scripture. So a lot of people are like, well, Jesus is a God in the Old Testament is the God of wrath. And Jesus is the nice guy. You know, good God, bad, bad God, good God. Bad cop, good. And, um, but really, Jesus taught about hell more than anybody else. Why? Does that mean he's nasty after all? No. It's because he loves us. And he loves humanity. And he doesn't want anybody to go there. So if that's a real place where condemned people go, if he's a loving God, he would talk about it like crazy so that people would know, hey, don't go to this terrible place. I want you to be saved, right? That's why he talks about it a lot. So what is the purpose of hell? Number one, it is a punishment on the devil and his angels. I already talked about that. Number two, we are not designed to go there. But it is also the destination for the lawbreaker to give a correct punishment. Correct punishment is key word there. Correct. For their crimes. Spurgeon says this, There is no injustice in the grace of God. God is as just when he forgives a believer as when he casts a sinner into hell. Third, it is a place of judgment and separation for those who either don't want anything to do with God or have ignored God's continual promptings. It is a place of judgment for sinners, for Satan, and for all rebellious people. Number four, God cannot be a loving God without judging sin. Number five, our problem as humans, and especially as, as time goes, is not how severe hell seems, but how shallow our view of sin is. Hell helps us understand how offensive sin is. Be it ever so small of a sin, it is offensive to a holy God. And hell reminds us, sin is very serious. Number six, it is a place to keep wicked beings away from the righteous. Okay, verse 42. Let's keep going. Jesus says to those, the goats, For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. These people were sentenced to to that place due to Adam's sin. These goats were people who refused to allow God influence, to influence the way they lived. They are selfish, unloving, 
uncaring, and a hoarding group. They are impervious to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, the cries of the suffering, and the injustice of others. They are hardened to that. They are greedy with their resources and care nothing for those who are starving, dehydrated, homeless, naked, suffering with sickness, and unjustly in prison. These are people... These people are the worst of humanity, utterly selfish, at best only helping those who will give them advantage someday. They were deaf to the mistreatment of others and to God's Savior, hard-hearted and stiff-necked. Now God sent prophets, God sent His Spirit, God sent Christians, God sent the Bible, God sent the church, God sent missionaries, God sent apostles, he sent teachers, he sent preachers, he sent Christian co-workers, he sent family members who are Christians. And these people rejected all of that. Is God just? Now, if God sent people to hell and never warned people, I could see a case for God being unjust. But that's not our God. God is just in that he let people know. Because he loves people. God showed them the news of all the suffering and injustice, but they didn't care. They just turned the channel out of annoyance. And I would say most people, and from what Jesus teaches, most people are like this for the most part, wouldn't you say? Sometimes we might find ourselves that way at times, right? They have rejected the Savior and have refused to bow to the Lordship of Jesus. And that's why they're in the condition that they're in. They are all still seeped in their sinful pride and idolatry. Verse 44 goes on. Then they also will answer, these goats will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? Man, is it hard not to quote Keith Green here. Someone want to get him a drink right now? Or a stranger or naked? or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Lord, if we knew you were there, we would have... Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So what do we do with the reality of hell? I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, I have nine thoughts, so you got about four more minutes? All right, good. Number one, realize how evil sin is. Disbelief and self-centeredness, pride and idolatry is so evil and so vile that it warrants eternal separation and suffering away from God's presence. Number two, Rest in God's desire for you to be forgiven and bought to walk a life of blessing others. Number three, join the Spirit as one who points this reality out to others so they are at least informed. May you be one who gives folks at least one more opportunity to come to their senses and embrace God's way of salvation. Number four, 
understand that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And this passion should be the same passion that we use to talk with other people. A desire for them to be saved. Not anger against these precious souls who are designed to have fellowship with God and to do the works he's called them to do. Number five, empower people to make a decision. Inform them what the results of their decision will be. We can't make people convert, but we can inform them to the good news, right? We can let them know how they too can be saved and then let them make their decision on it. Number six, reject false teaching and unbiblical theories about the eternal state. People love to speculate. I don't like to speculate. As a Christian, I try to stick to what does God say about this issue. And I don't know if Satan has red suit or brown suit or white suit. I don't know. But I know that I'm going to stick to what Scripture says about this. And I don't, I don't waste my time with speculations and old wives' tales and theories. I don't get caught up in all that stuff. Sorry to disappoint you if that's what you're hoping for today. Number seven, respect what hell is. May hell only be mentioned with tearful emotion. War is not hell. Life is not hell. Those are nothing in comparison to what people will deal with in hell. Let's not cheapen the word. Let's hold it as a precious, important truth. Number eight, allow the reality of hell to be a motivation for you sharing the good news. We have love for Christ that motivates us. We have obedience to Christ that motivates us. But also, we have the reality of hell that also should motivate us to share the good news. If Jesus is right, then why would you want yourself or anyone else to end up there? And number nine, are you finding yourself as probably a goat today? There is hope. Sometime read John, write this down, read John 3, 16 through 18. Don't stop at verse 16. John 3, 16 through 18. Read Hebrews 9, verse 27. There is hope for you to have eternal life in the presence of God for all eternity. I want you to be a sheep. God wants you to be a sheep. Quit being so stubborn. Be a sheep. Act like a sheep. That's what God wants for you. Let's pray together. Father, we think of even the Old Testament before Israel went into a land, you warned the city that you wanted Israel to have it. You have always warned people. You, have, you are not a blindsiding God at all. You let people know. And Father, we thank you for your love and your justice. You want people to be saved more than any of us could all together want someone to be saved. We thank you for your love for us who are redeemed and for those who are not yet redeemed. Father, I pray that our church would be a church that would be bold and at least offer your truth to people, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. One thing we get to celebrate, being a redeemed people,
is communion. If we are in Christ, Christ calls us to remember His awesome work for us. If you are in Christ, if you've trusted, you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is a meal that He wants us to remember. And this morning, we're going to take the bread during this next song. I invite you, there's three tables, one there, one there, and one here. Take the bread and look at it. Remember what Christ has done for you. His body broken so that you can be with him in heaven forever. Then take the cup that represents the blood of the new covenant. Spilled out precious blood for you that all who have received him have the blood applied to their account and we have fellowship. We are adopted for eternity with him. So come while this song is being played and celebrate what Jesus has done for you.